Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Last week I told you what my topic was going to be this week, and it's about the importance of Jews and Gentiles in a Messianic synagogue and the importance of the revival of the Jewish people and the revival of the nations as well. And I want to start with a short passage that's not in our Haftorah or our, any of our readings for this week, but is a powerful passage that really captures in, in one verse uh, this important idea. It's Isaiah 49, verse 6. And so if you brought your Bibles, I love to see your Bibles. Do you have a paper Bible? Who has real old school? All right. And the Digerati? All right. We're together on that. I have a great collection of paper Bibles and digital Bibles. I love them both. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this. The Lord says, it's not enough for you to be my servant who raises up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the remnant or the protected ones of Israel. It's not enough. Say that with me. It's not enough. Another way of saying it is, it's too small a thing to only do this. I will also make you a light for the nations to bring my salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. So let's say these phrases, not enough, too small, I will also. There you go. Okay, that's the message. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I, I want to develop this idea because there are some critically important ideas here. This is a call, a prophetic call that uh, Isaiah is charged with bringing where the Lord is saying to the Jewish people, it, it's not enough to focus on the restoration of the Jewish people. Now that phrase, it's not enough, is, could be translated, it's too small to only do that. Too small to only do it. But it's not insignificant. It's critically important. In fact, if you read all of Isaiah, and especially Isaiah 49 and, and that whole passage around it, you'll see that the Lord is speaking to Israel in, in a time when the Jewish people desperately need to be restored and need to come back to God and come back to the community life that had once been theirs and had been promised to them, and they need help with that. And God is saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to restore you. You've gotten into trouble, and you need help, and you can't save yourself. I am going to redeem you. So he says, I'm going to have to do this, and I will do it, and I'll be faithful to you, more faithful than you have been to me. This is a promise that God makes. And then he says, but that's not enough. That's not all. I want to restore the Jewish people because I have a plan to spread the good news of redemption and restoration to all the nations of the world. And I want to do that too. 
And God says, I'm going to use you, Jewish people. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you alive in me. And then when I do, you're going to go out to the whole world. Even to the uttermost parts of the world, you're going to go. I will make you a light for the nations to bring my salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uttermost parts. Sometimes translated in English, the ends of the earth. And of course, the earth doesn't really have an end, being a globe. It's a way of saying, as far as you can go around, as far as you can go in relationship to Israel, you will see that my plan goes that far. My plan goes everywhere. I have an interest in all of the nations. I want to use you for that purpose. God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to be your redeemer. I'm going to be your rescuer. I'm going to pay the price for you. And then you can have an impact. It's a great challenge to keep these two things as major priorities, to keep the restoration of the Jewish people as a top priority. It's important to understand what God is not saying. He's not saying it's a small thing and I don't care about it. No, he's saying it's too small to only do that. I care far beyond, but I want to use the Jewish people. And then there's a fascinating passage which we can't look at in detail today, but also in Isaiah 49, further in the chapter, it says, and then I'm going to raise up from among the Gentiles those who will be like foster fathers and foster mothers, nursing mothers, and they will bring the sons and daughters of Israel back to the God of Israel. Isn't that interesting? God says, I want you to be a light, but you're going to need them. Even when you're not a light, and even when you are, you're going to need them. The nations will need the Jewish people. The Jewish people will need the nations. How many of you know that's still controversial? And not everybody's in favor of that. There's a lot of resistance. This is not an easy thing God says he's going to do. God says, you know, this world is broken. How many can verify that? <laughs> and don't you sometimes feel torn? Like, feeling this world stinks. Let's just get out of here. And other times, don't you feel like this? Somebody needs to help fix this. And I'm, I'm willing to help. Even if it's not popular what I'm going to do, even if it's going to cost me, even if it's hard. How many of you ever have that thought, this world stinks? I'm not the only one. And how many have something that rises up in you? It's, it's like... <sighs> the people who see you when it rises up, need to step back sometimes. You know what I'm talking about. Because it's, it's a desire for justice, and it's a desire for mercy. It's a desire to help the downtrodden. And sometimes you want to help people that aren't popular with others around you. And it gets you in trouble with some of those others. You want to help them? Yeah. 
Just think about it. Maybe your heart is to help to stand up and defend the, the unborn children. And you got friends who that's not popular with. Or your heart is to stand up for and defend the uh, undocumented immigrants. And that's not popular with others. Or, or pick your persecuted minority group. And you may have a heart for them and other people don't. But I want to tell you, that's a good thing. God has put in your heart. You may find that you have boldness that other people interpret as fanaticism. Or you care, and it doesn't make sense to anybody else. You may even be aggressive. And you have to, you have to use that in order to empower yourself. You may even have violence in you. I mean, those who are in the military and those in, in uh, the police, have, they have to be able to counter evil with violence. Am I right? This stuff can all be at work in you. and The world may not make sense to you and people may not get you, but I want to connect that with this that we're reading about. There's a restoration that requires forcefulness. And it requires what could be stubbornness if it were pointed in the wrong direction, but will be perseverance when it's pointed in the right direction. And so you'll have to wrestle with stubbornness. And it, it, it requires that, that you are not swayed too much by popular opinion. So that can lead you to be a challenger, which is good. Or it could lead you to be just someone who likes controversy for the sake of controversy. It could lead you to be argumentative because you're practicing. Those things have to be harnessed. But all those qualities are connected to what God is talking about here. He wants to do something. And he wants to fix something that's broken. And he's looking for people who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of this plan. Now, some people don't even know it's the plan of God. They've never understood how, how much God wants to do. Or what he wants to do in international terms, because when they hear even the word international, what they think about are geopolitical countries and not ethnic groups. But God is a God who loves ethnicity. And it's not the plan of God that one day all of us are going to be smeared together and make one muddy color. But he is going to preserve the ethnicity of the nations of the world. And I'll tell you why. Because God loves nations. I don't know what he thinks about political groups. Sometimes I think he can't stand them. But that's a different matter. But he loves nations. He loves ethnic groups. Because ethnic groups are really, um, over time and um, space, if you will, they are families that have grown large. 
And God loves families. God loves people. God loves families. God loves nations. And he has this plan that nations one day will not learn to make war against each other, but they'll learn how to show love and kindness and peace towards each other. And if you talk like this, in certain circles, you will be inspiring people, and in other circles, they will just think you are Pollyannish, or stupid, or ill-informed. But God says, I want to do this thing. And he knows it's not an either or. And that's why I think a messianic synagogue can be so important because in a sense, we are an anticipation of what God wants to do. He wants to bring people from all different backgrounds and nationalities together with the Jewish people. Not instead of the Jewish people. With the Jewish people. And this this goal of the restoration of the Jewish people is a foundational goal to which another goal is added, and that is that the nations would be restored. Many people don't like that idea. They like the idea that that Jesus Christ came to universalize the message, which means to get rid of the Jewishness. That's not true. That's not how God works. God doesn't diminish families, and he doesn't forget his promises or his covenants, and he's not interested in uh, just melting us all into one glob without ethnicity. He wants our ethnicity, and he wants it to be useful and important. But he wants us to keep our top priority, the salvation of the Jewish people, and then add an additional priority. And that's very hard because people don't like that. They want one thing. I remember we were in Israel, Sandy and I, years ago. We were traveling around visiting different Messianic congregations and believers, and in each place we went, we met someone who said almost the same thing in a completely different way. Each one of them said, we found the key. We found the key. Now, in one group, they said, we found the key. It's 24-hour prayer, 24-7. We found the key. In another group is, we found the key. It's worship. And then another one, we found the key. It's serving the poor. And everywhere we went, it, it actually became our private joke. And Sandy and I said, what do you think the key will be today? <laughs> and we were noticing this, this common thread that each place took their strength and focus and thought this is the key for everyone. And I want to tell you, There is no the key. It's so hard for people to take one important priority and add 
another priority. And I didn't prepare my friend for this, but I'm, I'm going to call upon Dexter Siegler right now. I, I, I've got some questions for you. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to invite you up to the microphone, but you can come if you want. Uh, you don't want. I, know, I knew you would say that if I put it that way. Um, okay. Now, Dexter was a star football player in high school, right? And what position did you play? Quarterback. Quarterback. Corner. 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 Yeah, quarterback. Okay, quarterback. That's right. And how big were you? How much did you weigh at that time? 135 pounds star quarterback. Okay, then he went to University of Miami, and he was All-American. And what position did you play at the University of Miami? Cornerback. Not, okay, from quarterback to cornerback. And were they happy with you being 135 pounds? No. I knew that. That's why I'm asking. I know some of these answers, but not all of them. And so what did they do? What did they tell you about how big you needed to be? So he went from 135 to 175 from the summertime. Okay, July until the end of September. Now, did you do that just by concentrating and thinking really hard? You wish. <laughs> did you have to eat a lot of food? Yes. Yeah. You had to take in a lot of calories. A lot of lifting. You had to build up your muscle mass. So they didn't just have the goal that you would be heavy. Because you could have drunk a lot of beer and <laughs> accomplished that qu relatively quickly. Beer and milkshakes, right? Although you did, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> it's like grain fed, yeah. <laughs> They wanted you to get bigger, but they also wanted you to be fast, right? A cornerback is not a lineman, but he's got to be fast, right? Really fast. Okay, then fast forward to the NFL. You went from 175 at All-American Miami, cornerback, to the Seattle Seahawks. And then, were they happy that you were 175 pounds? Not really. How much bigger did they want you to be? 185, 190. So you had to get... But you had to be faster. You were faster. So they weren't happy if you just got bigger. You had to be big and fast. Okay, say this with me, because you'll get this. Big and fast. Now, if he was just big, it's too small a thing. It's not enough. Do you get that? If he were just fast, that's not enough. What was required? Big and fast. 
So you had to keep your goals while you add complementary goals that supplement and enhance. You can't just have one goal and then no other goals that work with it. You have to strengthen your goals, not diminish them. This is what God is trying to say to the children of Israel. I have a goal, but it's not just one goal, but there is a top goal. But it's connected to another goal. Once someone asked Yeshua, what's the greatest of all the commands? And Yeshua said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? And then he said, aha, there's another one like it, to love your neighbors yourself. And he said, upon these two, upon these, say it with me, two, upon these two hang the Torah and the prophets. They asked for one, he gave it to them. But he didn't leave it at that. He said, you need another one. And the apostles, in trying to disciple uh, all the new believers in the New Testament scriptures, we read that, that they see some people who want to focus only on the love of God and others that want to focus on the love of people. And they're saying, no, you have to join them together. You need both. One and two work together. And nothing else can take their place. But with them, you can build. In the same way, I think, the Lord is saying to the children of Israel, I have a plan to restore you. It's part of my plan for the whole world. And without that, I can't fulfill the rest of the plan. But you need to know the rest of the plan so that you can be party to all of it, not just some part of it. Because it's going to take hard work. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take understanding as well, because you're going to have to argue with yourself and with others, because there are a lot of reasons not to do this. How many of you know that Jeremiah the prophet, not the bullfrog, has, has his writings in the Jewish scriptures. How many know that? Yeah. So that means he was a prophet of Israel. He was a Jewish prophet. What you might not realize is he was not only called to be a prophet of Israel, he was called to be a prophet to the nations. And we read about it in this week's Haftorah portion. You can turn there, Jeremiah chapter 1, just a few verses. And Jeremiah is writing in the first person describing what happened to him. And he says, this is the word of the Lord that came to me. This is what I heard the Lord say to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I separated you for myself, and I have appointed you to be a prophet for the nations, for the nations, for the Gentiles, for the Goyim. This was not the ambition of any of the young Jewish boys of his time. Nor their mothers. Verse 6, and I said, oi. Or something like that. 
Lord Almighty, I don't even know how to speak. I am just a child. And the Lord said to me, don't say I'm just a child. Don't say that. For you will go to whomever I send you. And you will speak whatever I order you to speak. You will carry out your orders. And do not be afraid of them because I'm with you, says the Lord, to rescue you. You know, there's a good side to that and a not so good. The good side is I will rescue you. The other side is you will need to be rescued. (laughs) Do you see why this takes courage? This takes some aggression. This takes a willingness to stand up even when it's unpopular. The global scope of our calling to the Jewish people and to the nations is is sometimes intimidating. Jeremiah didn't think he was up to it, and we may feel the same. And so let's, with that in mind, read once again Isaiah 49, verse 6. The Lord says, it's not enough for you to be my servant who just raises up the tribes of Judah and to restore the remnant of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to bring my salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth, big and fast. And think about the obstacles that we face. There's a a sense of inadequacy. That's a given, actually. We are not adequate. We are not up to the task. We can't do this in our own power. We have to depend on the grace, the favor, and the giftings of God. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Yeshua spoke to his disciples at one point, and he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in what will be known in the future as the West Bank, Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the world, including Jacksonville. He said, but don't try to do this now. First, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't try this on your own. You can't do it. Sense of inadequacy, we just need to be able to say, I am inadequate. But it's not just me. We all are inadequate. And the Lord says, don't be talking like this. I'm just a child. You do what I tell you to do. There's another another obstacle. It's fear, even reluctance. How are we going to be received? For instance, There are sincere people in the Messianic movement, both Jews and Gentiles, who are committed to the idea of the revival and restoration of the Jewish people, but are terrified of Jewish rejection and amplify it internally to the point where they don't talk to any Jewish people about anything. That's one example. And that can cause... Sincere believers to say, I'll take only what's behind door number two. I'll take the nations. And then 
with enough fear, sincere believers will make their target audience other believers. I'm just trying to tell it the way it is. And they will reconfigure the calling and make the Gentile Christian church the subject of the calling. And try to get all the Gentile Christians saved again. Or whatever. There's another obstacle, and that is the lack of desire. Don't want to do it. Not my interest. I can think of Jewish people. I don't want to go to the nations. I don't even like them. You know how they treated us? Think about the historical issues. I mean, but you don't need modern history. Jonah. Go to Nineveh. No. I would rather be swallowed by a fish. Okay. Or think about all the Jewish people who would not want to see Gentiles like come to the Lord or even have fellowship with them because they know about the history of Christian anti-Semitism and they experienced it and they have bitterness and unforgiveness and, and they say, why, why would I want to go to them? And God is not unmindful of any of that. And that's why he's saying big and fast. You need both. Go to the Jewish people and go to the nations. But you've got to do one so you can do the other. Because if you do the second first, you know what will happen? You'll never get around to doing the first first. I had trouble with this. I remember I was invited to a city in uh, the former Soviet Union to, to share the vision of the Messianic movement and to stir uh, churches about this, and I, I went there, and I was so deflated with what I saw, because no one knew anything. They didn't even know Jesus was Jewish. And I remember thinking, why am I even here? And I thought, they are so ignorant. And, and I remember complaining, you know, like, what am I doing here? And the Lord said, unplowed ground. No one's come before you. It's time to plow the ground. It changed my perspective. Instead of thinking, oh, why isn't this work already done? I said, Lord, thank you for this privilege to be the first to bring this good news. We can learn something from Jeremiah that it's not easy to make the Lord's desires our desires, but it's possible. And we do it not by um, pressing down our thoughts and feelings, 
but by expressing them honestly to him and telling him what we think and how we feel. But with humility, we say, not my will, but your will. So we express them to the Lord honestly, but then we subordinate our thoughts and feelings to God. That's not the same as suppress them. Subordinate is when we say, here's where I am, and I see where you are. I'm placing my position under your position, and I'm going to do what you want. And that's what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Okay, I've heard you. Now, don't talk like this anymore. Remember, if you read Jeremiah 1, you'll see that he even, Jeremiah even goes so far as to say, you know, I don't even know how to speak. I'm just a kid. And the Lord says, okay, tell me what you see. Tell you what I see. And all of a sudden, he saw something with his spiritual eyes, and he said what it was, and the Lord said, right, see, I can help you see. That's how the Lord deals with some of our objections. Okay, I've heard your objection. Now, I'll solve it. Now, what's the next objection? Now, I want to close with Yeshua's example, where he models this idea of you establish a top priority, and then you add another priority to it without detracting from the top priority. And Yeshua said, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's, it's quite controversial, some of the pat- passages where he says it. It almost sounds rude. And Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, Yeshua gathers his 12 and he says, uh, don't go onto the road of the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And there's a time when Yeshua said, I didn't come for you Samaritans, etc. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which sounds awful. If that's the last thing he had to say and his only position, it's not. But he understands this, if you don't take care of one part, you won't get around to taking care of the second part. And if you make the second part your top priority, you'll never make the first part your priority. And what's important is to make the two real priorities. So then in Matthew 28, verse 19, Yeshua says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before you go, this is Acts 1, verse 8, wait until you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then just one example, Acts 8, 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed Messiah to them. 
this idea of God starting with the revival of the Jewish people and season after season, age after age, keeping that in focus, even when it seems impossible or even when it seems that it's done and complete. Keeping this in focus for our lifetimes and at the same time keeping in focus his great plan which is not elitism or an exclusionary way of dealing with the, the world, but rather a great way of dealing with the world. And there's something true about a messianic congregation and synagogue where we keep as our priority this very difficult task of bringing the good news to our Jewish people and making disciples of our Jewish people. But to that we need another task which complements it, and I'll talk about it in the future, and that is being a synagogue where any kind of Jewish person is welcome to come and explore, and is comfortable, if they have that in their heart, to explore. Because it's not just a home for us, it's a home for our people. But it's not just a home for the Jewish people, it's a home for the nations joining together with the Jewish people. It's not either or. Big and fast. Big and fast. But that's as far as I'm going. More to be said in the future. But I want to pray for you. Because if you get a hold of this and let this get a hold of you, it'll start making sense out of some of the chaos in your life and even some of the confusion. And you may say, I don't understand why so many things in my life are broken. Well, it's because God's the fixer of broken things. And not only that, he uses those who are being fixed by him to bring mercy, healing, and to fix others who are in equal or worse condition. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, and I pray that we could be faithful to your word, and that we would keep our eyes focused on our calling, and that we would not let go of one part, but we would hold on to the fullness of this calling, and that we might be a congregation where Jewish people can be alive in the spirit and, and serving God through Messiah in every aspect of their lives, and regardless of what diverse background they come from, but also a place where the people from different countries and ethnic groups and nations could find themselves at home here too, and that we could be a prophetic anticipation of what you have committed to do, what you are doing, and what you will fully accomplish in Messiah Yeshua. We pray this with confidence and even aggression. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing all alone, I encourage you to move enough so that you're not. I'm always glad when someone looks up here. Mike Gordon, my dear friend, looks up here and says, that poor guy's all alone. <laughs> Yivarecha Adonai, Yishmarecha. 
The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.